0: we mm-hmm. Yes, welcome to For and Against, where we look at the big issues in sport off the field of play. It's Paul Rudge here, welcoming you to a stripped back, shaved down, lightweight version of For and Against. Yes, with For and Against headquarters in lockdown as we go to digits, it's a four-way Zoom call, and we all know how problematic that can get, but we're going to give it a whirl. Uh, so joining me, at least in various corners of my screen here, to pour over some of the biggest issues in sport today, it is my pleasure to introduce to you, David Gill. G'day, Bear. G'day, Rochi Hello from the top right-hand corner of the screen. <laughs> no, you're, you're bottom right. What are you talking about? Uh, Simon Johnson. G'day, Jono. G'day, Rachie. I've never been called
1: stripped down or lightweight before, <laughs> but um, I'll take it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it's, it's Gilly that's helping us get there. Uh, and for once in his life, being less locked down than the rest of us go, is Stephen Riley. Hey, Riles.
2: Yes, yes, I can teach you guys a trick or two, but obviously uh, the video's not working so well if you think that uh, that I'm slimmed down, but was, anyway, t- it's, uh, we'll do the best it was we the can. It's about the show,
0: guys, it's about the show. And look, well done, fellas, no one was on mute, so that's the first hurdle cleared. Uh, all right, coming up in the show, the very future of sport. I told you we looked at the big issues here on the show. Uh, there's been a few interesting developments across a number of different sports lately that some of us think point to where sport is headed, and some of us don't think that. Uh, mental health in sport continues to grab headlines and we'll talk to someone who's lived experience of the struggles top athletes can have, former soccerer Michael Thwaite. Uh, sandpaper gate of sort comes to baseball. We'll look at the complicated world of commercial sensitivities in sport and, of course, wrap it all up with red card, yellow card, where we point the finger at questionable off-field behaviours across the sporting world. Uh, on the socials, you can get us at Twitter at Against Underscore. Uh, insta for dot and dot against, and if you're old school like us, an email will also work for and against at hotmail.com. Right now, let's get into it. Yeah, so the future of sport, there's a grand title and a grand topic to attack. We could be here forever on that, but yeah, there's just a few interesting things that have come to our attention, occurred in the sporting world that perhaps are indicators of, of where sport is headed. And Jono, I know you love uh, slipping golf into the show, so here's a free pass, mate, lead, lead us off.
1: You're very kind, Reggie. Uh, I thought it was pretty interesting just to have a chat about this player impact program, which has been uh, set up by the USPGA. So it's a lucrative bonus structure, which is designed to reward golf's biggest stars, regardless of how they perform on the course. So, it compensates players who are judged to drive fan and sponsor engagement. Mm. Don't you love those terms? Bit of marketing, Mm. marketing speak there, right right at you. So, it was actually a response, I think, to the Premier League uh, golf idea, which failed to get off the ground. That was a a Saudi government initiative, which was a breakaway golfing league, if you like, from about six months or so ago. But what this player impact program does is it has a pool of uh, $40 million US and it'll be distributed to the top 10 most valuable players, eight million going to the most valuable. And long story short, there's an impact score. So there are five metrics, your popularity on Google search, your brand exposure rating, um, the familiarity and appeal of the player's brand, and the value of the engagement that a player drives across social and digital channels. This
0: is just ripe for corruption. Isn't
1: that fantastic? So irrespective of how how well you're doing on on the field. This is the
2: best show ever to be recording on Zoom because I get to see Paul's (laughs) face when you're using terms like engagement in sport. I I had it all in bold, absolutely.
1: Driving engagement, social and digital channels, media platforms. Don't you love it, Richie?
3: but Roger, Roger, you'll be relieved to know that the algorithm also includes a filter to adjust for negative exposure. Mm,
0: Believe it or not, no idea how that but works. Should, but I thought any publicity is good publicity. Surely, pa- apparently uh, should, not. Mm. So if they appear on red card, yellow card, they're, um, they get a few points deducted. More than a few, I'd say.
1: Maybe, yeah. what the algorithm has to say it is interesting isn't it though i mean i think the point of this is the fact that it is about fan engagement isn't it and it really is rather than the um the sport itself or the administration body it's very much down to um a direct engagement between the fans and the athletes themselves
0: well on that I'm happy to come back to golf, John. But I am going to divert to motorsport because it's interesting you say that. Because Formula E, which is the uh, electric car, they look like, you know, kind of, they're open wheel electric cars, uh, Formula E. Um, so they've got this innovation called Fan Boost, one word, capital letters, Fan Boost. Um, and basically, it's a go faster bit for some drivers and it's fan driven. So fans can vote to Fan Boost, that word again their favourite driver in the three days leading up to a race, and indeed leading up to 15 minutes into a race. And the top five voted drivers get given a significant burst of power, I'm, I'm advised, which they can use in a five-second window during the second half of the race. So obviously the implications being a key overtake, or they're trying to overtake, and uh, if they're a popular driver, the fans get a say, and they, they directly influence... The the, the operation the 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 outcome of the race, incredible, absolutely incredible, and outrageous. Well, it is is
1: outrageous,
3: outrageous.
2: and and completely outrageous. It's like Mario Mario Kart. If you if you if you get the right number of votes, you can throw a banana peel over your shoulder, yeah, and and make someone spin off. (laughs) Yeah, that's fantastic. E Formula E for engagement. Well, yes,
3: good call. Speaking, speaking of outrageous and, and new developments and new evolutions in the world of sport, it's hard not to um, spend a bit of time talking about the recent uh, spectacle, debacle of a fight between Floyd Mayweather and YouTube star Logan Paul. I don't know if, if anybody caught the highlights of that fight. Um, but it yeah, well was. highlights were there? Well, yeah, exactly, exactly. It, it was terrible to watch, and it was you know it was ninety eight percent celebrity and the social media, and two percent sporting prowess. Um, but but very interesting when we you know we see what's happening with golf and the um, the PIP. Um, is is this is this Stephen? Is this the merge of boxing and worldwide wrestling? Is it all coming together in the master plan?
2: God. You know, you know there are some times when you know it, 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 there's not that much satisfaction in being. <laughs> you know, when you criticize a politician, when you criticize Cricket Australia, it's too easy. But, but you know, when I started trying to convince you guys that sport is actually just reality television, that these people are nothing more than content creators. Yeah, that these are manufactured, derived scenarios in which people can exhibit their true character, you know, that, that, that was a challenge. But, but right now I am basking in my rightness and that is the proof. You know, and it wasn't, it wasn't a bad thing to watch. It was amazing to watch because as it was going on, you could watch Floyd Mayweather's bank account going up and up and up by 100 million dollars and logan paul his was going up by about 30 million dollars and this this is the most successful boxing match of the i year.
1: think floyd described it as legalized bank robbery he was quite quite <coughs> open about it he said for me to be retired to be a grandfather and to come have some fun with a guy that is in his 20s when the money comes, we'll see who's the real winner. <laughs> He's a smart guy. He's won $1.2 billion over his career. But I think to get back to the, the, the topic of the, the segment, Rochi I mean, it is this comes back to a, a pattern, I think, of shaking established norms a little bit. It is driven by the viewers. If you look at Logan Paul, why did he get to fight Floyd Mayweather? Because he has how many, rails? how many billion or tens of millions of YouTube followers? That's the only reason he got to do it.
3: I, I did take some solace from the fact that the the athlete in in that fight did take the lion's share of the purse. So Mayweather, I mean they don't call him money for nothing because yeah, this was this was money for jam. But he took he took a ten million dollar fee. Logan Paul took a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar fee. Mayweather took fifty percent of the pay per view, Logan Paul took ten percent of the pay per view. So I did take some solace from that. Athletic prowess still does mean something in this new world of sport.
2: You know, if you go back a century, this is what sport was. You know, there were a bunch of privileged people who, you know, played tennis in long pants and people marveled at their prowess and doing whatever, but they weren't, you know, trying to break, you know, records or do, they weren't, you know, having sports nutritionists or they, were, they didn't have a team of 25 coaches behind them. It was a spectacle and people came for the spectacle. This is all sport has ever been.
0: Well, interestingly enough, Riles, back in those genteel days, of course, it was very, very deliberately amateur, and no one got paid anything, and it was done for the beauty of it, and the, and the pursuit of it for the sake of the pursuit of it. <laughs> oh, really? You believe that? <laughs> well, no one got paid. That's why Rugby League exists, because, you know, those genteel days when, when players at Rugby Union didn't get paid. That's essentially why Rugby League exists. There was a rift in UK cricket for quite a number of years, if I recall correctly, uh, when they transitioned from amateur to to professional. Where I think even players from the same team would come out different um, races, as it were, depending on on their 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 professional or amateur status. I think I got that right.
2: Yeah, there was money going on. It just wasn't going to the players. That's that's well, all that's that fixed. Hey, yeah, back to back to golf though for 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 Simon's benefit. Um, so. So what do you what do you think of this upcoming The Match between Phil Mickelson and his partner Tom Brady against our personal scientific favourite Bryson DeChambeau and Aaron Rodgers?
1: It's brilliant. It's all social media driven. It's not the first time it's happened. I mean, Phil's done this a couple of times before. Phil's got a massive Instagram following, me being one of his biggest fans on Insta. He, he's got great content. Do yourself a favour and follow Lefty. He's great. But yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. It's just an example of, but it's more entertainment, right? It's not sport, and and this is where you can have the definitional debate as to whether this really is the future of sport or is this just entertainment? And I know there's some blurring of the lines there. But when you've got the match, when you've got Logan Paul fighting Floyd Mayweather, you don't have any of the official sporting organisations recognising that fight or this match. Um, it's not up for any purse or any sorry any any title. It's pure entertainment, which I'm okay with.
0: So, Jono, does this... On the show, was it last show, we talked about that little um, uh, brouhaha between a couple of golfers um, that...
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brooks, Brooks Kepka, and, yeah. So, I mean, we mentioned the mad scientists on the last show, Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka, They had their little contretemps, as you say, uh, and they've had a, a running bit of beef but i mean there are the cynics amongst us would think that they're just doing this to drive fan engagement brochi and to get some extra clicks which will ensure that both of them miraculous, miraculously are in the top 10 and they can share the spoils over a couple of a uh, couple of beers at the end of the season smart play
3: yes somewhere somewhere in a Oak panelled room on the east coast of America. Bryson and Brooks are drinking their very expensive cognac, with their laughing shirts off, loudly. With their shirts off, for sure. Yeah, comparing <laughs> biceps.
2: I think that's right. Although I could be wrong, and there might be a celebrity boxing match down the road between them, but I don't think so. Let's put that aside for a second.
3: That's a great Go
2: idea. <laughs> And we'll go to one thing, which is um, just just to defend the honor of sport for a second, because I know like um, I sound like I'm tearing it apart, but Floyd Money Mayweather, Phil Mickelson, Bryson DeChambeau can only draw this many people to a special event exhibition, something or other, because they were masters of their craft in the first place and able to turn it on under pressure in competition um you know playing what we call sport reality tv show but sport
0: well said so you have actually come back to our way of thinking and it turns out the only thing you're basking in steve is the glow of your living room light (laughs) 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 uh we're going to move on to talk about something a whole lot more serious about uh, mental health and how it affects athletes Naomi Osaka yanked the mental health of athletes into the spotlight recently when she withdrew from the French Open, citing her struggles with anxiety. Uh, She, of course, had declined to take part in the obligatory post-match press conferences, saying that the line of questioning she often fielded from the world's media was detrimental to her mental health. So it prompted a fine from the tournament organisers, and indeed she left the tournament. Uh, there's a threat hanging over of being banned from future tournaments because uh, apparently Grand Slam tournaments can issue fines of up to $20,000 for players refusing to attend press conferences and repeat violations can result in suspensions and even expulsions from the tournaments. It's fair to say that it caught the Blazer Brigade a little off guard uh, given the first reaction of the Grand
2: Slams was to issue a threat. My goodness, did it catch the Blazer Brigade off guard? You're spot on about that, Paul. Yeah. Um, I think what was really interesting to me about this whole thing was that to start with, I think the French Open thought that this was a no-brainer and they thought they were absolutely doing the right thing and that everyone would fall in line behind them and about two, within a day or two, the whole world had told them off in no uncertain terms and the only person they had left on their side was Piers Morgan. The UK's version of David Koch. That's mm. that's the highest praise I can give you. It's an interesting, it never interesting never comparison. says you're on the right side. Yeah,
3: and compare and contrast the the reaction of the the tennis administrators to the reaction of golf administrators to the situation of Matthew Wolf um, on the USPGA. Similar situation, um, but the response, the immediate response from the golfing fraternity was much more sensitive and I guess much more in tune in the way that um, society at large thinks about mental health these days. So very interesting. Uh, I'd say that the, the golfing administrators distinguished themselves, the organizers of the, of the French Open, not so much.
1: Mm. Yeah, absolutely, Dave. Bit of of an example of player power, I think, as well on on both sides, just to see that um, in that situation, um, it really was Naomi and Matthew standing up for, I guess, their own health, their own mental health and um, having some success. Really interesting to see.
0: Well, as I said in the intro, very much interested in in talking to someone who's been there and joining us now is former soccerer Michael Thwaite who's been open about some of his own challenges with mental health in a football career that spanned decades and included 13 caps for his country. Michael, thanks for joining us. Thank
4: you guys, my pleasure.
0: Um, so Michael, tell me, how did you feel when you heard the news about uh, about Naomi? Yeah, I mean, it,
4: it's a can of worms, isn't it? Because I think um, as part of their contracts, uh, they're probably due to to accomplish, you know, those things um, after every match and, you know, who knows the details of their contracts, but I guess, you know, everyone's on that spectrum with, with mental health. I mean, uh, when you're talking about mental illness, it's a different thing um, altogether, but, um, you know, tennis players, when they lose, um, they, they have uh, different feelings and, and sometimes they don't want to express it just like footballers, I guess. And, uh, but yeah, when it's contractual, then it's probably another story.
3: Mike, talking talking about your own um, experience, I think you know to outsiders the life of a prof- professional footballer is a, is a dream life, um, and even if even if the non professional sports um, sports person knows that the life of a professional athlete is not necessarily easy, we usually kind of think about the the physical challenges of being a, a professional sports person. When, when did you kind of first become aware um, in your own career that? I'm facing here that's not a physical challenge, um, but more of a of a mental challenge?
4: I mean, I guess all of our psychology stems from our childhood, um, but it probably started as worries and thoughts um, simply as a child. And then obviously when you become professional and you're living away from home and um, you're going through all sorts of things with your relationship and your schooling, um, your education, and And your profession um there's there's all all sorts of things happening, and I guess it probably really came to a head um you know in the environment that I was living in and and most most um likely it was my time in China, where I lived like a whole year away from my family, my wife and kids um in a different culture um you know pollution uh language barriers um not a lot of friends and family around me um and then following that um in in Sydney as well, where I did the same thing uh, and that 's where it came to a head um, I was in and out of um, you know seeing seeing psychologists and psychiatrists about it on and off medication um, but again it 's you know you 're kind of a product of the environment and and that 's where it really came to a head and you know, the first person I, I called was my wife. You know, basically in China, um, I was staring out, outside of a a very very tall building, and and just having these suicidal thoughts, and um, you know, that's that's a person with everything, and that's where I kind of, you know, got got myself into a better situation where I just rang my wife and just said what I was feeling, and um, and then we went from there, and she was basically just like, well, you need to get the hell home, you know, so. Um, but yeah it's it 's hard when you just transfer to a different country and you 're trying to get help and um, things change very quickly
2: yeah mike um that's thank you i mean i i will get you to tell us about that 's football uh, uh, in, uh, in a little bit but thank you for sharing so much i know um you know i I had very severe depression disrupt my life uh, over a decade ago in a in a major way and and you know my family and, and friends had to to deal with that and, and helped me through it. And a lot of people don't get through it. But I, I think in a way, and I guess I'm going to turn it into a question, do you think that we have a double standard when it comes to sports people, that the interview is seen as part of feeding the beast, as part of the the entertainment that we've paid for?
4: Yeah, I mean, I guess we're all people and you know, in Australia, the statistics are horrific, you know, one one in four suffering anxiety, one in seven depression, who knows even what that is as, as a term. Um, I, I know it more of as feeling, you know, my time in China. And for me, it was a like a cloudy feeling. Um, and then, you know, we've got, you know, we're talking about the, the statistics with COVID at the moment. And, um, you know, that's really come to a head. But, you know, when you got eight and nine people um, committing suicide every day in a middle class society, um, I've I've been to maybe thirty five countries in playing football and some third world countries, and uh, when it's happening in a country like this, uh, when you look outside, especially like here in the Gold Coast. Um, you know, where it's a beautiful, beautiful country, um, yeah, there's definitely a problem. But, yeah, I guess we're all people. Um, but, you know, with, with playing professional football um, comes a lot of pressure. We're playing big big stadiums, um, not to mention social media and the exposure that's happening now with athletes. Um, and, yeah, I guess for me in, in that situation, it came to a head um, as it is every day for people.
1: Michael, I, um, there's no doubt that mental health issues are per- pervasive across society, um, not only in sport but pervasive across society. But one of the things that occurred to me in looking at this issue that I guess arose with Naomi Osaka and Dave mentioned um, Matt Wolfe in the golfing sphere is those two examples, I guess, are dealing with individual sports people who play individual sports. And you're obviously someone from a team sport background. Do you think that... Um, that this is an issue perhaps or well, it can be an issue more so for individual sports people. It obviously occurs across the gamut of sports, but I wonder whether it is particularly an issue for those that play those individual sports.
4: Yeah, I guess, um, it's more isolated and, um, yeah, it's, I mean, one V one is very difficult. Uh, I was always in team sports. Um, but yeah, like I think this, the, the mental, um, side of, Tennis, for example, and golf—you um, know—it's remarkable what those athletes go through. And I guess, yeah, in a team environment, you know, you, you might have games where there's, you know, five people off off the game, and um, you still you can still manage to win a game. But you know, if if you're, you know, having one set or, um, you know, one one day off, you know, you're going to lose the match if if you're in that indiv- individual sport. Um, so, yeah, but I I guess I, I think. Yeah, most most athletes are are pretty tuned the same, and I guess it's a bit of a bubble at at the moment.
0: So, Michael, you've, with with the publicity you've given about your own background, has that um, resulted in other sports people sort of coming to you and and you know wanting to have a chat? And I'm not not interested in obviously betraying confidence as if that's the case, but uh, you would get a you would get a better sense than than the than the rest of us as to. Um, to what degree sports people struggle um, with these kind of things?
4: Yeah, I mean, the first time I really talked about my company and and what I was interested in and and the first time I really shared it was at Sydney University, which was away from my home but very close to my heart. Um, And... Yeah, I guess when I did we did say that I was suffering um, at that time and, and what i had been through, um, you know, I had a psychologist come up to me and say, well, he was going through the same thing. So I guess, um, you know, they say doctors are the worst patients, so I guess. I think it's everybody, you know, like it just depends what phase you are in your life and, and as I said, a lot comes from your childhood um, and, and, and there is, you know, like just being in... In disability sports now, you can see so many broken families. Um, you can see, yeah, just just how people are suffering every day. And I guess it is an everyday thing. It's not like anxiety goes away. Um, I'm not on medication at the moment, but... It's an everyday process, which is, which is part of resilience and, and a huge topic of mine.
3: Mike, tell us, um, tell us a bit about uh, That's Football and in, particularly, in, in particular the, the mentoring services that you provide. As I understand it, you're kind of um, seeking to, to guide young athletes about um, not only their life as a professional sports person, but also looking after themselves outside of the sporting environment and then also thinking about their future beyond sport.
4: Yeah, so basically, um, yeah, I had the idea for a long time. I heard the term come up, you know, we all say, you know, when you lose a game or you win a game or you go through a bad coach or a good coach, you everyone always says that that's football. And for me, it means like that's life. And I guess, um, you know, it's a mentoring company um, helping people transition into a profession that they actually value. I just see... These days, you know, especially students, um, you know, or or molding into university students or TAFE students, and they just mold into careers that they actually don't value and they don't enjoy. I was very lucky to, to be a professional footballer for eighteen years, get paid for what I love, what I started when I was seven, and I guess I just seeing, you know, now that I'm in the kind of real world, I can see people, you know, in occupations for twenty years that they absolutely hate, and I just don't understand that concept and. I guess now, uh, where I have been in two um, environments, Uh, one was an elevator company in HR, just totally out of my comfort zone, which I wanted to do in the last year. Um, Then COVID hit and molded me into a new profession um, in disability sports. And it's something that I really value and, and gives me a lot of purpose that I'm doing every day. So, and I guess that's probably the hardest thing in transition, especially from being an athlete, a long time is is transitioning into something that you actually value. And, and I think then it will be long term rather than short term.
2: It's a fabulous, fabulous thing you're doing. Um, you know, it was interesting, you, know, you heard us talking before about how the, the public response to Naomi went uh, very quickly from, from one side to the other. Um, well, I mean, the public response was so supportive. Do do you feel that in the wider society that we're getting more supportive, or do you think there's more Piers Morgans out there than we would like to believe?
4: Oh, I think there's more exposure, I guess. Um, and and that was one of the things that happened to me in China. I never really posted anything about my career, um, you know, for for sixteen of those years, and then. Someone got me onto Instagram uh, whilst I was in China. I ended up down a wormhole and uh, yeah, just being, you know, surrounding myself as, as an athlete, as a brand, and, you know, getting that exposure and, and listening to comments and whatever. And I guess it just put me in a really dark place. And I guess that's the problem these days is that, um, you know, we're, we're so, everyone's got an opinion. And so as an athlete, you can look at those opinions whenever you want. Um yeah so I think yeah she's got every right to to do what she feels she's a person um but again it might be against what contractually what what she's supposed to do um yeah so I guess I've I've probably done worse <laughs>
1: Michael, I, um, I think one of the great things that's come out of, um, I guess, the Naomi Osaka story and, and Matthew Wolf story is the fact that there, is, there does seem to be such an increased acceptance and awareness of mental health a, as an issue amongst sports people um, I was interested to read... So Matthew Wolfe, he had two or three months away from the tour um, and he was quite public about the mental health battles that he was facing and he came back and played at the US Open and after his second round, he'd had a pretty average second round, but he gave, a, I think, a 15-minute interview where the focus of that interview was purely on his mental health. One of the answers he gave, it was quite raw what what he had to say and he said, "Um, I only see the bad. I think it's both the pressure of all the fans... It's just hard to manage it really is. It's the fear. It's all about managing the fear. What's what's probably the worst thing that could happen? I could miss the cut. That's really the worst thing that could happen, but your brain makes you think that you hit a bad shot and like the world's over or you're going to physically get hurt or something. I found it really, you know, quite powerful that he was prepared to say that. Um, you know, is that something that resonates with you and do you think it's good that people are are starting to be open and talking about those things?
4: Yeah, for sure. I think, as I said, um, you know, everyone's on, you know, everybody has mental health. Um, again, like mental illness, it's another thing, you know, where you're talking about anxiety and depression and, and suicidal thoughts and things like that. But, you know, we've got to understand that everybody has mental health and, and you know, that's an everyday spectrum. You know, you, what, some days you might be 10, some days five, um, and that's when alarm bells um, happen and that's where you've got to kind of focus on, um, you know, something that's gonna get you over that five or um yeah, but I think um yeah it's definitely what you focus on. I think, you know, playing in those high pressured environments. Um, I myself, you know, you might have one game where you're focusing on totally negative thoughts or just the crowd or what the coaches said or um something that your wife said before you 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 walked out the door to go to the stadium. Um but yeah I guess um you know focus is a very big point and I guess what you're focusing on every day, uh, that's kind of what's what's probably going to happen in your life, and 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 that's one of the biggest things in transition as well is 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 to focus on something, um, after you retire or um, you know, to, to refocus as well when failure happens or those negative things are happening.
0: Well, I think it's fair to say we've we've come a long way in, in the way we've we as, a, as, a, as a population have treated mental health, but there's still a, obviously a fair way to go and. Michael, obviously, you know, organisations such as that's football will hopefully contribute to that, uh, no doubt. Um, but we appreciate your openness with with both with us and and generally, uh, Michael. So, and really appreciate you joining us on the show. Thanks very much.
4: Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, as I said, like I'm I'm just building my company, and you know, mentally, I think you know we we've only just tapped into to what we're doing with people mentally because, you know, we focus so long on sports science and physical, you know, like that 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 side of the game, but, you know, they put statistics on it and, you know, percentages on it, but I, I think, you know, the majority of sport um, and everyday life is mental, you know? Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, and, and and we're yet to understand the full side of the brain, but yeah, I'm, I'm really passionate about these things off the field,
0: um, as you can see. Good on well, sincerely Michael, take take care and, and thanks again for joining us. Uh, so that was Michael Thwaite, former Socceroo, uh, talking us through the the, my, the minefield that is uh, mental health in professional sports. <music> on to the shootout now where we cover a few uh, other topics in a slightly shorter form fashion and uh, we're having a bit of a chuckle uh, at the Americans, in particular the baseballers at the moment. It's It's always interesting when a when uh, America's a bit behind in something, it's the you know, such as the advent of of sports betting. It's been interesting watching their hand wringing as as that's uh, begun over the last year or two, and so it is in baseball where um, they're having their own version of Sandpaper Gate, Jono, if i understand things correctly.
1: We we had Sandpaper Gate, Rochi They've got Spider Attack Gate. So this. This is an example where pitchers over the past couple of years in particular have apparently been seeking an advantage by placing illegal substances on the ball to make the ball curve, dip and hop more than it normally would. Doesn't that sound familiar? Sounds so familiar. There's been an investigation. There's been forensic testing of the balls, a review of video, there have been witnesses called. And funnily enough, it's actually arisen as a result of a a bit of a come-to-Jesus moment in the sport because they've realised that over the past couple of years it's turned into a pitcher dominated sport. So it's been a monotonous procession of strikeouts and low scoring games. Um, And there's a real problem I think at the US with an aging baseball audience. Um, And it's hard to sell a sport where you don't have that level of entertainment to the the younger viewers. So they've conducted this investigation and it turns out that a bunch of pitchers have been using this thing called spider tack, which is a tacky glue like substance. Uh, and there's been all sorts of um, hand rigging over there, and there's been interviews with former players, and it's in fact been found that pitchers have applied foreign substances to balls throughout baseball's history. No. Can you believe it? <laughs> Doesn't it sound familiar? It's almost word for word what happened with cricket. It's just extraordinary. I'll keep that story
0: up here and drop it over there. Yeah.
2: Well, I think what's important to recognise is the pitchers had no idea that this was going on. <laughs> 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 That's right. Yeah, yeah
0: it's, there been any teary teary um, confessional uh, press conferences, John, that you're aware of?
1: Yeah, so there was one player. I think he he effectively made an admission in a press conference, and then had to walk back the admission uh, because he realised he'd got himself into all sorts of trouble. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's been front page news over in the US, and quite amusing given that the Aussies went through this a couple of years ago.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll look forward to seeing how that develops, and and people getting suspended for all of a couple of minutes, maybe. It, it's always fascinated me that baseball is actually popular. You, Johnny, you referenced the the low scoring. Um, it's just it, as, as a country that seems to love this constant entertainment and has a you know on the on the face of it at least a fairly low attention, a small attention span. I've always been amazed that baseball is actually still a thing over there.
1: It's the tradition and the statistics, isn't it, I think, primarily.
3: But, yeah. I think you need to live in America to get the American love for baseball because it really is the soundtrack of the summer and there is literally a baseball game on all the time in summer in the US and every single shop, bar, restaurant you go into, the baseball will be on. And it's kind of like Test Cricket. In that you don't watch it all the time, but it's always it's always there. Except in the US, it's literally from twelve in the afternoon to ten PM at night, every single night from
0: April through October. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. love it, love it. Uh, Now, look, we we um, we wanted to touch on a couple of um, tricky uh, moments in sport where uh, I suppose the commercial realities of the commercialisation of sport of butted up against uh, a couple of little incidents and events. And I, I think one of, the, one of the ones that's received the most publicity over the last few weeks was uh, Ronaldo sitting down at a press conference uh, where he had the obligatory two bottles of Coke uh, labelled, of, of course, pointing out to the cameras. Uh, and as he sat down, he, he kind of got rid of them. And uh, he said, I'm, I don't want to be part of sponsoring that. And it, that caused, I think it's fair to say, quite a ripple. It caused, uh, if you if
3: you believe in direct correlations, it caused a one point six percent drop in Coke's share price. Um, that being a cool five point two billion in shareholder value. I'm not sure if that was totally attributable to to
0: Ronaldo's yeah, gesture, but I've read something that suggests
3: that it wasn't.
0: But it's a cute story,
3: yeah. I did like uh Paul Pogba's contribution to to this episode with the with the body, bottle of Heineken Paul's a, a devout muslim and so um does not want to uh support alcoholic beverages in any way shape or form it was a bottle of Heineken 0.0 so I'm not sure if he kind of lost his point lost a bit of its force um at that being the case
2: look I I think this is really interesting especially given that we started the show talking about um uh, interviews and yeah players and and players declining to be part of interviews on the basis of mental health and I fully support that as we as we were talking about earlier this one's really interesting to me because I'm less supportive of the um the the preaching from the mic and and I'm I'm not quite sure why it bothers me, so I'm going into a small introspective, you know, mm. um, searching rant just to, to try and explore it because it strikes hope, me as biting the something. it's biting the hand yeah. that's feeding the sport, and I'm I'm really struggling with that.
0: Which was the which is an argument brought up uh, around the Osaka situation as well. Um, I saw actually um, the. Boris Becker. Have you seen Boris Becker? Quite some time after the whole Osaka thing, um, suggested that that wasn't real pressure. Um, but uh, that's another story. Uh, and he used an expletive to to make to force his point home. But yeah, I mean that that as I say, that was part of the discussion, right? Well, Naomi, you've earned a lot of money out of this. You probably have the game a bit. There'll be players coming up who are in the next decade or two who will expect to still be able to ride the gravy train if they're the best in the world. And this is part of what promotes the sport. So whether it be Um, you know turning the label around on a on a on a product that you're not a fan of or just generally not contributing to the circus you know as as Naomi declined to it feeds into the same thing Steve doesn't it essentially
2: well no I I think they're completely separate things I I think that that Naomi one is is about health and mental health the reasons Um, are different yeah and, and and I think you know, so one, I think, is more defensible than the other. I, I think it's interesting when you look at Ronaldo saying, you know, don't drink sugary drinks and Pogba saying don't drink alcohol. You could argue they're making health statements as well. And and that's the part, I guess, that that's messing with my head. I, I did
3: like the riposte from uh, the... Ukrainian player Andrei Yamalenko. not a household name not as highly paid as um, Ronaldo and Pogba but in his press conference he kind of grabbed the Heineken bottle and the Coke bottle and hugged them a little bit and said <laughs> sponsor me sponsor me <laughs> <laughs>
2: call me call me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how,
3: did, how did the share price go after that <laughs> probably of Ukrainian football oh, <laughs>
0: through the roof <laughs> didn't move the dial oh uh, good stuff yeah it was a com- it's a complicated way we- and look the other one I want to mention too is um, Djokovic, during the French Open, he was struggling, and I forget the match off the top of my head, but he was struggling in the match, um, and he managed to come back and win it. And was, was, it a, was it a semi? It was late in the piece. I'm sure one of you guys will fill it in, fill me in. But there was a clip at the end of the match, Djokovic went over to the fans, and there was obviously someone, and was sort of a teenage boy or something, who had been um, supporting him all the way through the match, and uh, Djokovic gave him his tennis racket, I think, as a sort of a, a gift of thanks. And everyone's taken video of this, and everyone's uploaded it onto their socials and all that sort of stuff. And they shut it down. They said, "Oh no, that's not an authorised uh, video recording. You can't be putting that up on social media, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Unbelievable! Fun police gone too far.
2: Yeah, like you can't do that. That's just ridiculous. That just mind-boggling, especially when you have some sports that are recognising they need to engage with with people, with the fans, and uh, tennis showing again that they're just not quite on that wavelength. Not, not naturally. Mm.
0: They're on two, Tennis on two strikes on this show uh, at the moment. I wonder if they'll pick up a third in the short time that we have left. From the it's not sport, but we like it file to finish off the shootout, Chess. Now, look, I am staggered that this has not happened already or before a decade ago, but Chess has finally realised that it has potential as a genuine spectator sport. Uh, Gilly, are you across any of the details? I just saw a headline, but I just thought this would be the kind of thing right up your street.
3: Uh, look, it's it's a made for TV spectacle, um, and what I was thinking about with this this new international chess tournament was the the potential for the use of uh, super slow mo <laughs> and VAR. So you know. Whenever you're playing chess with your mates, there's always that controversy about whether you finish your move Uh, and did you take your finger mm, off ah. off the piece. That's where the super slow-mo comes in, and that's where VAR comes in. Obviously, just joking about that. Hotspot? Didn't think about that. Um, I loved how they were describing this as a, I'm not sure if you saw this, but as a fidgetal experience. Say that again. And this fidget... Uh, Fidgetal, right? right like physical, so this is physical because digital. Yeah. Ah. Exactly, and that's because the games are going to be a mixture of in-person, old-style, face-to-face, Russian-style chess, and also um, chess games that are completely virtual and played over computers, which will just be fantastic on TV.
2: And look, I, 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 you shouldn't write this off so quickly. It's it's a good time. I'm not- the- <laughs> well, are you, actually, it is how you intro it, I'll give you that. Uh, it's a good time in the popular culture. The Queen's Gambit was uh, a series on Netflix that went gangbusters. And Great there, there are other, sh- other uh, uh, tabletop games like uh, poker and that, that do really well on TV. I'm looking forward to seeing this on ESPN any day now.
0: Mm. I wonder if there's a future for Monopoly Anyway, anyway uh, that wraps up the shootout. We're going to come back with Red Card, Yellow Card. Yes, Red Card, Yellow Card, where we enjoy bringing back in the spotlight the misdemeanours of sporting folk around the planet. Uh, who are we going to kick off with? Stephen Riley, what have you got for us today?
2: Look, I, in the just, I'm going to nominate Shane Heal, former Ooh. great Hill. Australian basketballer for getting stuck into Ben Simmons for not going to the Olympics. Mm, and I'm, okay. I'm wondering if I'm going to get a debate on this from the You're panel. Mm. So Ben Simmons, talk, talk about um, being put through the mental ringer. He has guided the Philadelphia 76ers to number one in the Eastern Conference through the regular season and then come crashing in a psychological heap in the playoffs to the point where he 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 couldn't take free throws people were fouling him on purpose because they Mm. knew it was they could they could uh he would miss and in the end he's even refused to dunk in the the final moments of the final game when they got knocked out he's been disowned by his teammates and he has said i need a break fellas i need to go practice my free throws for the next you know however many months before the next season I can't go to COVID-infested Tokyo, I'm out. And still, people are criticizing him for it. So I'm nominating Shane Heal. He's just one of many. And I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding.
0: Did Shane say anything in particularly, particularly egregious, Steve, or he, he's just a representative of the large body of people that, that took, he, took his view?
2: Yeah, no, no. Look, he—he, he, I mean, he—he he, he tried to cover it all by saying, "Oh, I'm sur- I'm surprised that anyone's surprised by this because you know he'd never come." I, I think this is a little bit of uh, tall, tall poppy syndrome, unfortunately, from one of our own great basketballers, but someone who never made it anywhere near as far as Ben Simmons. But I think there's others out there who, again, are, ta- are playing the—you um, you are there to entertain us. And your forty million dollar a year salary is there to entertain us, and uh, and I think they're
0: wrong. Well, given the only time I ever have the faintest interest in basketball is when an Australian team is playing, I am disappointed. But uh, yeah, admittedly, I'm not across all the facts. So you're giving you're nominating Shane you Hill
2: and you a red card for being disappointed.
1: Thank <laughs> <laughs> you, Ben Simmons, a, a yellow card. But, a bit yeah, I'm on Shane's side. So.
0: Jono, ah. take it away.
1: Look, I've I've got a a former Olympian champion Usain Bolt uh, for a nomination this week.
0: Excellent.
1: So, first of all, congratulations to Usain on the recent birth of his twins. Um, Usain really outdid himself in the naming department for his children. There was a loving Father's Day Instagram post. You would have seen that, Rochie, being the big Insta fan Mm, that you are. Of course. And in that post, his wife notified the world that their twin boys had been named Saint Leo Bolt and Thunderbolt. Oh, no. And the two younger (laughs) brothers have an older sister (laughs) who is called Olympia Lightning Bolt. Oh, that's fantastic. But but surely if anyone can get away with it, it it must be Usain. Um, I must say that I particularly enjoyed the picture that accompanied the news on Insta. It was an almost biblical scene with Usain and his partner Kazi posing with their three children in a a glamorous-looking ancient stable with St. Leo and Thunderbolt cozied up in wicker baskets, in matching Hessian blankets, and everyone wearing just the right shade of off-white. <laughs> but I suppose when your name is Bolt and you're the fastest man alive, the universe is telling you to do all the cool things with the baby names.
2: You do know that they've got a cousin called Nutson. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Steve, get out of here. I think St. Leo is Usain's middle
0: name. Just uh, for the record, but yeah, I it doesn't see. doesn't absolve him of all the other sins that he's just committed there, that he and his wife. Um, so, what are you suggesting there, Jono? A, a yellow for the bolts?
1: Uh, yeah, I think yellow.
0: Yeah, for each of them. So probably a combined red. All oh, right, two so yellows. <laughs> Gilly, what do you got? What, what about yourself?
3: Uh, that's a very tough act to follow, I must say. <laughs> I can see say. it's wiping the
0: tears th- from under his glasses. <laughs>
3: I am, I'm nominating another English professional footballer, not for drunkenness, not for womanising, and nothing to do with litigation between spouses. This is for a, an appalling lack of vocabulary. Um, and, and this came in.
0: You have my attention.
3: This came in an interview um, with Aston Villa and England star Jack Grealish. Um, I guess they were talking a bit about the Jack Grealish off the field of play. And the interviewer kind of hopefully asks, um, so she mentions that Dean Smith has described you, Jack, as an encyclopedia of football. And he (laughs) kind of stares blankly at the camera with his mouth open and says, a what? (laughs) And so she hopefully kind of says a little bit more slowly, um, an encyclopedia of football. And he replied, I don't know what you mean <laughs> so um With X. i i thought i i thought this was probably a red card but then i i i looked at his age and he's 25 years old so mm. he's probably never seen an encyclopedia and if she had said you're a wikipedia football he would have been fine so on that basis i'm probably
0: going to say a yellow card could have been a red but i agree only a yellow. interesting yeah fair enough it's a generational thing um so in closing, I am look. It's 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 not it's not red, but maybe it's a maroon card. Uh, Chris Close, remember Chris Close, Queenslander. Um, so state of origin two. There was a bit of a kerfuffle, um, which you know we, we we could have covered with another hour or two added onto the show. But Ronaldo Milutalo, Jono, can you help me? With the Milutalo is that he correctly pronounce it? I don't know Any... who you're talking about, Oh, okay. I'll go with it. Oh, let me, let me fill you in. Ronaldo Militalo was going to make his debut for Queensland in State of Origin 2. Um, but off the back of a uh, some clever detective work by someone on Twitter, it came to the attention of the NRL that he was, in fact, ineligible to uh, to play for Queensland. On a technicality, I think you've got to be... Uh, there's something about the age of 14. You have to... Um, uh, Steve, you're nodding. There is it? Do you know what the detail is? You have to be you have to have played your first game by you know, no. You have to have arrived in in the state by the, a certain age. You'd think I might have done some research and actually found out that level of detail, but I haven't. Anyway, he missed out by two months. He was thirteen and ten months instead of fourteen months. Whatever that that number that that magic number, whatever that age is important. And so, as a consequence, he was ruled out of the game. Only a few hours before it actually started it was on it was on the day of. So. Uh, a much hue and cry, you know. Surely there should be an exception to the rule. Well, no, because that's why they're the rules and the eligibility, baron state of origin. Silly enough as it is. Anyway, so Chris Close, what a ridiculous situation with this young man, Ronaldo Mulatalo. His heart would be broken. In his heart, he believes he is a Queenslander, and that is all that should matter. <laughs> and there, right there, is you have a very good idea of, of Queensland's grasp of rules. Uh, it should whatever whatever's in your heart, guys. Play for play for New South Wales or play for Queensland, whatever's in your heart.
1: The incredible? great, the great Billy Moore would no doubt agree with that.
2: Queenslander, Queenslander. Ah, exactly. Just, just just in in his defence, in Chris's defence, in Ronaldo's defence. Yeah, he did play under eighteen and under twenty for Queensland. This this mm. is actually a red card to the rugby league for being ridiculous.
0: Yeah, look, perhaps there's an argument there, but I'm, I'm dishing out a yellow to Chris for thinking that whatever is in your heart is all that counts when it comes to eligibility. Good on you, Chris. And he wasn't the only one by any stretch. Um, so on, on that note, folks, that wraps up red card, yellow card, and in doing so, also wraps up uh, and a slightly experimental four-way Zoom call for and against. I hope it, uh, I hope it panned out okay for you uh, there listening. And uh, so it leaves us with the simple task of saying farewell to uh, Stephen Riley. here. Riles.
2: Look, the three of you and everybody listening will be in my heart until we meet again. Terrific. <laughs> 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 uh, Simon Johnson, see you later, Jono.
0: See you, hey, David Gill, take care, Bear. See you, Roachie. My heart is always with for and against, as you <laughs> That's know. That's the way, yep. And uh, it's goodbye for me, Paul Roach. Don't forget to catch us on the socials. Twitter at four and against, underscore uh, insta four dot and dot against. And uh, we'll see you next time. Look forward to it. Bye for now.